That's right. Mind over matter is fine, but let's not forget muscle over matter. That's right. All right. <laughs> Live from New York, it's Saturday. My. You like the juice? Do you like the juice? Was that a dramatic pause? That's that's my my. I'm practicing my Steven Seagal. I've forgotten my line. Awkward pause. <laughs> yeah, Steven Seagal. Uh, so welcome to Saturday Night Jive. Uh, this is the podcast. Uh, I hope everybody appreciated the sound of that fucking can. By the way, <laughs> the fucking this can. I had to wait fifteen, 15 fucking minutes, minutes for? for. You had to wait fifteen <laughs> minutes for me to go to the store and grab a can. This fucking son of a bitch texts me. I just got to walk the dog and then we're ready to podcast. And then I get a a text like five minutes later. Oh, wait, I'm out of cans. I got to go to the gas station. 15 minutes. 15 fucking minutes. We can just make up the can sound. You got it from plenty of other podcasts. You can just edit it in. It's got to be authentic or else people won't believe it. Yeah, I I came back from walking the dog. I opened up my fridge. I'm like, fuck, no cans. I can't podcast without a can. Uh, oh, anyway. So, well, welcome to Saturday Night Jab. This is the podcast where we talk about Saturday Night Live and Saturday Night Live related movies, mostly movies. But this week, we went back to our old stomping grounds of watching an old ass episode of Saturday Night Live, uh, and this one is a notorious one. Before we get to that, we do we did actually find a movie. We just didn't have time to watch it. Uh, we I, th- I don't know if you edited it into the last episode, but we mentioned. That uh, uh, Victoria Jackson, who this is the reason we're watching this episode, she's in a movie called The Cat Who Saved the President, otherwise known as The Undercover Kid, and we didn't think we were going to find it, so we, we figured we'd do the Seagal episode, but we found it. George actually found it, so uh, we will be watching that eventually. I watched the first ten minutes of it. It looks fucking awful. Yeah, I skimmed through it myself. It, that looks like a good one. Um, but actually, well, we could talk about this at the end of the podcast, but... Uh, our next podcast will be a special episode. Stay tuned for a hint of what that could possibly mean. As if it fucking matters. <laughs> Who cares? I know. Who gives a shit? Um, so anyway, we're watching the Steven Seagal episode. This is a notorious one because uh, Lorne Michaels himself has gone on record saying Steven Seagal is the biggest jerk who's ever hosted the show. As have many in the cast. Yes. And um, I will... I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, yes, personality-wise, I'm sure backstage, he was probably the worst. Actual hosting-wise, I don't think he lands in my bottom ten. I liked this episode. Okay, I'm going to say, this isn't the worst episode we've watched. I feel like he is the most ill-prepared host, and I'm including Hulk Hogan, Mr. T, and Nancy Kerrigan on that list. I feel like he... I, as soon like the first sketch he was in, I was just like, "Ooh, really? Ooh, that's just not good." Like he's just not fucking with it. Whether or not I mean jerk on set or whatever, but he just does not seem to get live television at all. No, uh, he is absolutely dreadful. I mean, he's not good. I enjoyed this episode despite him. I think the um, the episode was able to flourish around this big vacuum of anything that is Steven Seagal. I feel like Flourish is a little, uh, giving it a little too much credit. It doesn't fail miserably like some of the other ones have. No, there was only one sketch in this episode that I downright, like, hated. Um, Everything else I enjoyed. I enjoyed every sketch except, uh, yeah, except one. 
No, I would say that, but we should point out this is also like, I think at least for me and I probably for both of us, somewhere around like our peak SNL, like everybody says like SNL is great when you're a kid and then like that's your favorite era. This is our era of SNL. Not even that. I mean, it's this era was also rebroadcast on Comedy Central ad nauseum when we were kids. So this is kind of the era before me. Like I, I wasn't watching actual Saturday Night Live during this time, but I was watching Saturday Night Live reruns a lot during this time. So yeah, I do identify with the Dana Carvey era, even though I didn't. I didn't start staying up late to watch the show until probably a couple years after he left. Well, I was, I mean, yeah, I guess technically our generation is probably like the Will, the Will Ferrell era yeah. and that kind of stuff, but I don't identify nearly as much with that as I do with, with this version of the show. Yeah, because this is the one you actually watched because, um, yeah, I wasn't allowed yeah. to stay up until 1 o'clock in the morning when I was 10 years old, but I could watch a Comedy Central rerun at 4 p.m. Mr. Cigar! Mr. Cigar! Mr. Cigar, I didn't see you! I couldn't help overhearing what you guys were saying, you know. Oh, well, you were so quiet, you know. How long were you back there? We were just talking, you know. Yeah, you know, it's just, you know, chewing the yeah. Look, fellas, let's not confuse the issue here. I don't want to compare myself to these other stars. They're great and everything like that. But what I do is unique, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, 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 I got a point. Yeah. See, um, I follow Zen. And we start off with, uh... Pumping up with Hans and Franz. And in this sketch, they start bad-mouthing Steven Seagal. And, oh, who shows up behind them? Steven Seagal! But a bit rare for a host to appear in the cold open, I think. Yeah. Unless it's like a backstage thing. I I always like when the cold opens are like the backstage, where it's like the host getting ready, and they're like, oh, no, I forgot my cue cards or something, you know? For the host to appear in a recurring sketch, yeah, this this is a bit unusual. And also terrible, whoever thought Hans and Franz was a funny idea. I know, man. It was just, you had to be there at the time, I think, for Hans and Franz. I mean, Arnold was just getting huge, you know? So it's like, but man, they ran this shit into the ground. You remember, they were going to make a movie of this shit, remember? Like, we were like, we dodged a bullet. We were like a hair's fucking breath away from Hans and Franz the movie. It just fell completely flat for me. Nothing worked in the sketch for me. Yeah, it wasn't that great. Um, because, yeah, they're, all they're doing is flexing their muscles and talking about girly men. But I did like when Steven Seagal comes out and, oh, man, right away you can tell that this guy is... You know what Steven Seagal reminds me of in this show? Um, he doesn't remind me of a host. He reminds me of, like, the celebrity cameo who will show up and do, like, the, uh, hey, you're you're impersonating me well i'm the real guy uh because that always looks sloppy because you can tell the guy like didn't come to rehearsal because it was like you know supposed to be like a spontaneous moment that's what steven seagal reminds me of in this episode see to me he reminded me of like when they have like sports guys on instead of real actors yeah except usually those guys have like some kind of goofy charm usually they come across as at least like nice guys and he comes off like the dick like i i don't remember the Dion Sanders episode, but I imagine it was probably something similar. He at least seemed like he wanted to be there. I mean, he was terrible too. But yeah, Steven Seagal, he is, he doesn't seem like he went to rehearsal at all. He's glancing at the cue cards every now. There are huge pauses in between his dialogue where I don't know if he's, I think he's dropping a line, but I, or maybe he skipped ahead, but it looks painfully sloppy every sketch he's in. Um, and yeah, he just, he seems like the least funny man 
you've ever seen in your life. And yeah, it just seems like, and you, I was looking forward to this and I, I got what I wanted in spades. I was waiting for like the Justin Bieber phenomenon where like it was clear everyone else on set hated him. And yeah. you, I got that in like a bunch of these sketches. We Like the last sketch where they're all like fake slapping him and shit. Maybe I'm just reading into it, but I'm thinking like they added some shit to that just so they can like get off some of their frustrations. That was the perfect sketch to end this episode where they're just like lining up to bitch slap Steven Seagal in the face for two days straight. Getting into how bad Steven Seagal is, we jump right into his monologue, man. Uh, What the fuck was this? I get the premise of like, this is who you think I am, but I'm not that guy. But then there should be a joke. Yeah. Here's what I think happened, because the monologue is basically Steven Seagal saying, like, look, I'm a serious guy, I'm into zen, Um, you know, I'm not known for comedies, and you think he's building up to a punchline, or like a self-deprecating comment or something, but he's not, he just grabs a guitar and starts singing Kung Fu Fighting, and here's what I think happened, they're like, hey Steven, what do you want to do for your monologue, and he's like, uh, well, I want to sing a song, and they're like, huh, can it be a funny song, and he's like, nah. It's going to be real serious. And they're like, how about Kung Fu fighting? He's like, yeah, but I'm going to do it real seriously. Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Fast as lightning. It was a little bit frightening. They were going with extra time. And do you think he understood that that was a joke or was that a joke on him? I got to feel like that was it. Like he it's happened exactly like you said. I want to do something serious. I want to sing a song and they suggest Kung Fu fighting. And he's like, yeah, but I'll make it cool. And they're like, yeah, yeah, man, make it cool. And they just said, what the fuck? This guy's an asshole. Let's have him make a fucking fool of himself. No, I think that is exactly what happened. Cause he was singing Kung Fu fighting. Like everybody was Kung Fu fighting. <laughs> Like, he's not singing it, like, campy or with any energy. He's just like, look at how cool I am playing the guitar and singing Kung Fu Fighting. I'm Steven fucking Seagal. Yeah, it's a a huge joke on him. I feel like the entire episode is basically that. It's like, well, if he's not going to work with us, we're not going to help him. Like, I feel like that's, that most of the time they're like... You know, some of these guys come in, they're inexperienced, or they, they, they're at least not experienced with live television or our format, so let's help them out. Let's, lo- let's help them look good. You know, as long as they're willing to give a little bit and be a little self-deprecating, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be the, a little pillow for them, and, and you know, they, they won't have to work too hard, and they can just have fun. But if you don't work with them, <laughs> this is what happens. Yeah, well, because he's also not in this episode a lot. He's only in four sketches, really. Um, so he's only in half the episode. So yeah, I knew they knew exactly what they were dealing with here. So moving on to our commercial parody, Winston McCauley Funeral Homes, where they promise never to have sex with a dead body, and they'll give you $1,000 off if you can prove that it, they did. And there's one other thing we can promise, that we will never have sex with any dead body. How can we guarantee this level of service? First, we rigorously test our applicants for aptitude and intelligence. And also to make sure they don't have the urge to have sex with dead bodies. And the guy, if anyone's caught, they'll be suspended for as much as six Six months. Six months suspension if we catch you having sex with a dead body. Uh, Phil Hartman. And I'm sure I remember this. I feel like this is one they probably repeated in other, other better episodes. Oh yeah, I'm sure they did. This was the era where your commercial after the monologue 
they only had like seven or eight a season and they would just replay them all the time. Um, but now let's get into our first sketch. Tonelli, one man army. I didn't hate this. I didn't, I didn't hate this sketch or at least what it became. I feel like the setup was too long and was like suggesting a different sketch and then it just became Rich Meister all of yeah, a sudden. Yeah, can we, can we first, because I want to play a clip of uh, Steven Seagal's first line in this sketch. Now I've got the ACLU up my behind, and the DA has to throw out these indictments. I caught these two guys with three kilos of cocaine. What do you think they were doing with a making shark for girls softball games? For the people who aren't going to track this fucking episode down and watch it along with us, uh, yeah, I mentioned how long the setup is. I feel like there's two different sets before you get to the Richmeister set. There is, yeah. He walks through a door and then walks through another door. Seriously? You needed that fucking much just to get to Rob Schneider saying, hey, making copies. <laughs> also, for the person who uh, isn't going to watch this Steven Seagal episode, uh, to what this sketch is, Steven Seagal is getting fired from the force. Uh, it starts off like an action movie. But then they do a fake out because then he, he gets fired and he has to go into, uh, I guess, like the paperwork department. So he goes to make some copies and there's the Richmeister. And I one, I was surprised because I guess he was only a featured player at this point. I didn't realize he already had an established character at this point. I assumed he was a regular before this. This is Rob Schneider's first season, I believe. Uh, yeah, and he came out guns blazing with the Richmeister. That thing, like, hit instantly it was um I've, i did this season for my blogs a long time ago and i remember like there was one episode where rob schneider does the rich meister and then like two episodes later it's like the leadoff sketch and then it just like they kept beating it into the ground rich meister rich meister rich meister well i mean it's not i mean it's just weird how instantly like the audience cheers immediately they, they, they know what this is and oh yeah they yes. go nuts and uh, I'm, I remember liking one of them, the Christopher Walken one, where he's the guy from the Dead Zone. That's a Pat sketch. Oh, am I misremembering that? Yeah. Is he also? Is there also a Rich Meister uh, sketch in that episode? He might be in a Rich Meister too, but he definitely uh, Christopher Walken does the Dead Zone thing with Pat, where he's trying to. No, no, maybe it is Rich Meister. I might be wrong too. Maybe it's not a Rich Meister sketch. I could have sworn it was Rich Meister because I wouldn't compliment the Rich Meister in any other context. But no, but this one, like, the fact that, like, he beats the shit out of him and hangs him out of a window, I feel like it almost kind of earns it. Like, as much as we think back on it now, is like, this is, the, like, the prototypical overused sketch. This, I feel like, was enough of a twist on it that I would not, I didn't mind this at all. Yeah, I like the, I like the fake out of it going into the Rich Meister. Um, but also, this is what Steven Seagal wanted to do. Like, uh, from the stories I've heard from cast members and crew who were at SNL at the time, he would he pitched all these sketches where he was like, yeah, the church lady, uh, I want to be in a church lady sketch, and I want to beat her up. And yeah, Hans and Franz, yeah, I want to beat them up. Rich Meister, I want to be in a rich, and I want to beat him up. <laughs> so like the first two sketches, the first sketch he beats up Hans and Franz, and then the next sketch he's in, he beats up the Rich Meister. I almost wish they would have kept that going. If that had been the equivalent of uh, Hulk Hogan and Mr. T bending the bar at every sketch. Or if just like at the end of every sketch, like uh, the end of the next sketch, the all-star celebrity tribute. If just Steven Seagal comes out and just like slaps Kevin Nealon around. Kevin Nealon? Do you mean his his amazing impression of Tom Selleck? <laughs> uh, I love 
my one of my favorite parts of this era of SNL is Kevin Nealon's total lack of impression skills. And for the record, I'm a, I'm a fan. I like Kevin Nealon. I always like him and stuff. But yeah, this was not his strong suit. Oh, he's terrible at impressions. And he was like, you know, he was like the utility white guy in the cast for so long that he would always just show and be like, hey, who can be Tom Skerritt? And then, all right, Kevin Nealon walks out. I'm Tom Skerritt. And he like never puts any fucking effort into it. It's almost kind of Norm MacDonald-esque. Like, I think he knows he doesn't sound anything like Tom Selleck right now. And I think he thinks that's funny. Oh, Barbara, how are you tonight? Well, Tom, I'm still a little pooped after last night's all-star salute to Lieutenant Jeffrey Acker. <laughs> I know what you mean. That was some salute. But hang in there, because after this show, we'll be two-fifths of the way through the A's. All right! <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't matter, because the sketch is just so fucking dumb. I did not get this at all. This was clearly in reference to something of the time that it just does not register anymore. Well, you didn't like... I loved this. This is... Um, I think it was probably based on something going on at the time. Well, the, the Persian Gulf War is just over. And so this is an all-star celebrity tribute to the troops. But they're doing each troop individually is getting their own special. So this special is all about Tim Meadows who played, like, a staff sergeant who spent, like, six months in, in Iraq. Well, no, I mean, I get the premise of the joke, and it's some of the, like, the appearance of, like, fucking Tony Orlando, fucking Mike Myers as Tony Orlando, some of that stuff lands, but I think part of it is, if I assume that this is based on something real, it gets kind of dark for me, because I think the idea is that that... Like, they were overdoing patriotism, I guess, maybe, in the media. Maybe they did something like this, and the joke is, we shouldn't be celebrating the troops as much as, as we are. Like, like that's, I don't know, it's kind of a weird, a weird bit of social satire, if that's the case. I think it might be a commentary on that, but I also think it might just be a commentary on the uh, media's coverage of the Iraq war in general. Because, you know, that was the first cable TV war, where it was on... 24-7, there would be breaking news alerts of the Iraq war, and then you could turn on CNN and see the Iraq war in real time, basically. And then once it was over, then they started bringing the troops back, and they started playing that angle up. So I think it's more of a commentary on, like, the media going, we have to keep ringing out stuff from the Iraq war, so why don't we salute see, I, each yeah. troop individually? That's what I think it was And I don't for. remember that phenomenon. I, I, I kind of remember the nonstop 24-hour war, but the idea that after the fact they were doing stuff like this, that kind of flew by me. But it just, I, I mean, I did love what we're watching now, George Bush with the, like, the pre-air or pre-edited thing where <laughs> they yeah. just film his bit, the specifics, and has this general <laughs> sort of thing throughout. It doesn't matter if you... Because there are two moments in this sketch that made me, like, just crack the fuck up. One is Dana Carvey's George Bush <laughs> giving an obviously pre-taped message. Let's not forget the courage of your beautiful wife, Mary. <laughs> no, children. They waited faithfully at home in East St. Louis, Illinois. And they're so happy that you've returned unharmed. The darkness, but just to stop there, just the darkness of that joke, because you think of the other edit of, I'm so sad to see you came back right. without your legs. Right. But he's not going to record a whole new, inter whole new package for each soldier. Um, but the other brilliant part of this sketch 
is Phil Hartman as Charlton Heston reading a letter that Tim Meadows wrote during the war that talked about how horny he was and how he's just openly masturbating. Three months in the Arabian desert and man, am I horny. I think I'd lose my mind if it weren't for masturbation. At first, I tried to hide it. But now, it's so out in the open, there's no point. Everyone's doing it. Enlisted men, officers, even the press corps. If you ask me, this whole operation is one big wankathon. I describe it as a wankathon. This is an all-out wankathon. And uh, what? Who picked that letter? Oh, uh, Charlton Heston picked that himself. He just gives him like a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, we also get Rob Schneider um, doing what Rob Schneider does best: horrible racism, playing non-white characters. And then you got Mike Myers as Tony Orlando singing "Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree" with altered lyrics. No, that's the thing. The the incidental elements of this worked for me completely, but. The sketch, I don't know, it's something about the premise of the sketch itself. I think I was just kind of, I don't know, and anytime you're dealing with the troops and, and their treatment as a joke, I was trying to figure out, like, what the joke was, and everywhere I was landing, it felt kind of like, and I'm not even like a, you gotta respect the troops guy, but, like, you, you I don't know, it seemed kind of, like, disrespectful. I don't think the joke's ever on the troops, though. I think the droop, uh, the joke is always on the people who don't serve in the war, uh over-congratulating the people that do to make themselves feel good. Yeah, but just without the context, I couldn't be sure, and that kind of made me uncomfortable, I think. Well, um, moving on to something that will make you completely comfortable in today's uh, climate. The Dark Side with Nat X. (laughs) Well, you know, you say, I mean, I would say stuff like this is just more relevant. I mean... Yeah, oddly so, yeah. You know, as dated as it is, it feels very 90s. But it feels like you could do a, a version of this today on SNL. Well, he's I mean, ba- of course, it'd be, it'd be Keenan Thompson, so I wouldn't want it. Right. <laughs> well, he's basically making, I mean, most of his jokes are about the Rodney King beating. So, yeah, you could definitely bring Nat X back today and just change the references. And it's funny how things don't change ever. Um, it just, I guess it wouldn't be funny because I feel like even at this point, the Rodney King thing... We were naive enough to think like, oh, it was just Rodney King. Whereas now it's like so systemic. I mean, it was then too, but like we understand that it's like, no, it's not just Breonna Taylor or, you know, who whoever it is this week. It's the fucking police just murder black people indiscriminately. And, and it's fucking, you know, like it wouldn't be funny today, even if it would be relevant today. Yeah. Sit your white ass down. <laughs> How you doing that? It's nice to be on your show here. I'm glad you could make it, Mr. Dice. I understand you got a lot of free time on your hands since Ford Fairlane. What are you talking about? Ford Fairlane was one of the best movies ever made, and I kick any what you could say that didn't make that kind of money. Steven Seagal as Andrew Dice Clay. Good. Whoa, I was flabbergasted by this. The fact that, because like the the joke, or at least such as it is, is he he talks in bleeps because he's Andrew Dice Clay, and Andrew Dice Clay was very vulgar. Well, still is, I suppose. Uh, but Stephen Skull sucks so much at reading his lines that they can't 
they can't match the bleeps to his confused cadence. So you know he's not actually cursing, he's just speaking gibberish, and they're trying to bleep it? Yeah, because you can hear him say words like butt and stuff before they bleep it. And yeah, you can totally tell that he's not actually cursing. It's like you had one job, Stephen Seagal. Match your voice with the bleeps. Learn your goddamn lines. You don't even have to do a great impression of Andrew Dice Clay, because you already kind of seem like an aloof douchebag like the Andrew Dice Clay character is, so you're kind of pulling that off by default. You just can't fucking read your lines. And this is another one where, uh, you know, I just, I'm curious about the gestation of this, because I always hear tales that, you know, they always ask the host, what do you want to do, you know, what impressions can you do? And (laughs) Lord help us if Steven Seagal was like, I got a killer Andrew Dice Clay impression I've been working on. You know, I never think of it in those terms. But yeah, whenever you see a host on SNL do something where it's clearly not like their thing. Yeah, it's probably something they went. Yeah, that's my thing. Yeah, because the writers and they're not going to make them do anything that would make them feel uncomfortable, you know. They're not going to be like, oh, hey, host, go out there and do a tap dance. And he's like, well, I don't know how to tap dance. Yeah, you'll fucking figure it out. No, they're going to be like, hey, what impressions can you do? And he's like, Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, that'll be fun. (laughs) Can we hear a little bit of that Andrew Dice Clay impression? Yeah, this was, I mean, that's the thing. While they were very, well, maybe not very successful. While they were successful enough at working around him, every time Steven Seagal was on screen, and I'm going to say this because he has since been me too. He's been like charged with rape. And I felt like, 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 like just from the, the, the strength of the shittiness of the last time he was there, every time he would come on screen, I would be like, <gasps> like I would, my, I would, t- my body would tense up. Like I, like I was just, I was ready for the awkwardness of it and it never disappointed. Like it literally caused a physical reaction in me. Like I didn't want to watch the next one. Oh yeah. Well, he doesn't get better. <laughs> These aren't just opening night jitters. He sucks the whole episode. Oh, man. Yeah. And again, like going back to like Nancy Kerrigan, at least she was charming. Mm. I mean, I just mean like as a person, I see she she just seemed like she wasn't geared for that that mode of, of entertainer. But she seems like a person. Like she would be pleasant to have a conversation with uh, over a tuna sandwich. Yeah, if I met her in person, I wouldn't go like, oh, I don't want to talk to that person. I'd be like, oh, yeah, Nancy Kerrigan, she'd be interested. And she'd probably even have some good humor about it. She'd be like, yeah, SNL wasn't my thing, you know, that. Uh, she, I don't know, she seems like a human being who is not in her element. Steven Seagal seems like some kind of fucking crazy robot not in, his, not in its element. Yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty awkward, the whole episode. Um, <laughs> have you ever seen pants higher than Michael Bolton's pants? Only on Kylo Ren in (laughs) fucking Star Wars. Uh, But yeah, Michael Bolton was a highlight of this episode. God help us all. Oh, Michael Bolton was great. I mean, it it is the whitest thing in the world. But um, I I love both of Michael Bolton's songs.
Michael Bolton takes the stage. He has got his blue jeans pulled up, has to be over his belly button. They are just pulled up so high that it's just like, I dare you not to look at this fucking moose knuckle. And to accentuate it even more, he's got the collared shirt tucked into the high pants. I didn't think anything of this. Just to show off, these are how high my pants are. This was 90s fashion, right? I mean, I feel like everybody did this in the 90s. Everybody had their pants that high? I don't remember that. Maybe like moms, not rock stars. I I, I mean, not that I remember that it that way, but it just seems like something that would be very 90s. Hello, I'm Casey Kasem. (laughs) You know, tonight in the number one spot, a little song for a good cause. The title is simple. Musicians for Free Range Chickens. I didn't hate it, but I feel like the setup for this indicates that they have officially done one too many of these all the celebrities get together to sing sketches. Yeah. <laughs> like they are really struggling to, to continue this as a bit. And this is also like many years after We Are the World and they're still doing We Are the World parodies. Well, we saw in the uh, Hulk Hogan episode, they opened with a We Are the World parody. So that was season 10. This is season 16. So we're six years removed. And they're still like, let's keep doing We Are the World parodies. That's a good sketch idea. Well, I mean, there were other ones after that. I don't know how close they were to this. But yeah, it just feels like, I don't know. Have you pretty much done every possible variant on this idea? Yeah, this is Musicians for Free Range Chickens. And so you get uh, a cavalcade of SNL musical impressions. And what I really wish they would have done is put the name of who the person is underneath. Because I didn't know. I didn't know who Tim Meadows was, and he was like the first one. I think he's supposed to be Lenny Kravitz. Possibly, but and I I guess that's Carly Simon, or, um, not, uh, what are they? The Carly Simon's kids? Is that, the, are they Carly Simon's kids? Oh, Wilson, Wilson Phillips. Phillips. No, not... Chris Farley. Chris Farley as Carney Wilson and Wilson Phillips. A plus. And I think Adam Sandler's supposed to be Axl Rose... Yeah, I liked his Axl Rose. Maybe maybe Victoria Jackson is Cindy, Lop- Cindy Lopper? Victoria Jackson, the reason we're watching this episode, playing Cindy Lopper. Who boy. <laughs> that was bad. And I think there's David Spade as Tom Petty in the background. I didn't notice that the first David time. David Spade as Tom Petty was good. Um, yeah, my favorites were Chris Farley's just sight gag as Carney Wilson, Adam Sandler's Axl Rose, and then when uh, Dana Carvey came out at the end as Bob Dylan, he's just like, and then, of course, Michael Bolton as himself. Yeah. Um, but problematic alert, Jan Hooks, I believe, is Diana Ross. Oh, is that it? I, I just didn't think who she was. I did not put that together. Well, I just got it just based on the way she's holding her hands out at the end. That's like a Diana Ross move. Um, and she's kind of got the hair. She's not really in blackface. Um, it looks like she's, like, tanned. And to that point... If they were going to, they, they, they don't have any qualms about putting people in blackface on this show, at least at this point. So I feel like if it was going to be Diana Ross, they would have, she would have just been black. Unless Jan Hooks specifically said she didn't want, you know. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering too. Because there's also a, a uh, another episode where Jan Hooks plays Oprah Winfrey. Oh, God. But they don't do like full blackface. They kind of do the same thing here where it's just like they, they just give her a little tan. I don't know. Is that like a compromise? Do you think she was like, I don't want to do blackface? It's like, well, I guess we're doing the sketch. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I've always wondered. Well, because there's also, it makes no sense to me because there's also just a rational um, alternative. 
Yeah. Pick another person, like Jan Hooks. Don't be Diana Ross. Can you impersonate any other person? Uh, Madonna's popular, right? Madonna. How about that? She's white and, and popular at the time. Just take a day, start working on another impression. Tell the children to tell the world to tell the chickens that we are on our way. So everybody, I want you to put your hands up like this. Put them up like this. Prepare yourself. We have more racism coming coming after this, so. Uh, we do. Let's see. Well, we had some. We had some. Yeah, the fucking photographer sketch. Oh Mike Myers. fuck! I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, we do. I just have racism really big in my notes. I, which again, bears out our theory that we cannot watch an episode of Saturday Night Live without fucking racism in it. Yeah, I forgot about that because um, I enjoyed the sketch after Mike Myers left. Um, but no, the, the next sketch, uh, is the, the worst of the bunch, um, because this, like, it puts all the weight on Steven Seagal's shoulders and he cannot handle it. Uh, Chris Farley is like a, uh, a high school screw up. He, you know, he's like a fifth year senior and he's taking, uh, his girlfriend out on a date, but, oh, her father's a, uh, an ex, uh, army guy and he's rough and he's played by Steven Seagal and what entails is like 15 minutes of Steven Seagal saying his lines in the slowest manner possible. It's a nice watch you've got there. Yeah, my grandmother gave it to me last year for graduation. <laughs> well, I'm glad she did because I guess that means that uh, I won't be getting a phone call from you that you lost track of time or anything like that, will I? And I will say that on paper... Like, if Steven Seagal were good at this, this would have been, like, the perfect premise for a sketch for him. Just the idea of Steven Seagal, this dark, brooding badass, is the father of the girl you're taking out on a date. I feel like at premise level, that works. It's just he sucks so bad that it doesn't. Yeah, no, a good premise for a sketch. What if you went to pick up your date and her dad was Steven Seagal? That's got some comedic potentials. Unfortunately, Steven Seagal can't act, so we're screwed. If this were even even if this were Schwarzenegger, who isn't the best actor, but is, I don't know if he's ever hosted SNL, has he? No. But yeah, I, I feel like he'd be more game for something like this if it was like, yeah, her dad is the dad from True Lies. You know, I feel like that could have even worked. But yeah, just Steven Seagal is so bad, and it's beyond bad. It's not because like Nancy Kerrigan was bad. Steven Seagal is bad and has no interest in being good. I don't feel like he has any respect for this arena. I feel like he he's he doesn't feel like... When you say he doesn't show up for rehearsals, it's not like he was busy. He didn't show up because he didn't think he needed to show up because he's a fucking asshole. Yeah, I think Steven Seagal was like, I got this, I'll show up Saturday night, I'll do my lines, whatever. And it comes off that way because it comes off sloppy, unrehearsed, and painfully painfully bad yeah i just uh, and, and i mean it's i'm 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 saying worst host we've had on the podcast because you know may again may hulk hogan and mr t were less maybe even less talented i guess or but they had charisma too like there's the moment in the fernando sketch when uh you know they 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 make each other laugh or he that cracks up like there's there's something there and it's also there's a feeling like they kind of knew their own limitations this this is just like, he sucks and he doesn't care that you know it. 
Like, he's not embarrassed by how much he sucks, which is so weird. He has no shame. I mean, it's like now he's a fucking shitty Trump Republican, and like that's why. Because he never had any fucking shame. Just a, a wash of overconfidence. Yeah, no, he's, he's terrible. And yeah, this is the absolute worst sketch of the night. Uh, then we get Michael Bolton. And yeah, then we get our final sketch, Brace Steele, Greenpeace photographer. And yeah, I forgot that this starts off. With Mike Myers going, oh, a brestia, ha, you'll be a Greenpeace photographer. The ecological crimes of major corporations can take place only under the darkness of secrecy, like the darkness of this darkroom. But when the light of photographic documentation is let in, ah, the darkness is dispelled, and these ecological criminals are exposed, like the roles. Wouldn't it have even been funnier if he was just a, an unassuming Canadian guy, but but saying those same things, like say in that same role? Yeah. Uh, well, it's even worse because it starts off there in a, a dark room, and so the lights are off, and then you just hear Mike Myers going, "Oh, hello, Bracey, uh, yeah." And I'm like, "Oh, this is bad." Then he turns on the lights, and it's just like huge Asian eyes just placed on Mike Myers' face. It is just the worst thing you've ever seen. And the fact that this is one of at least two horrible Asian stereotype characters that Mike Myers has played, likely more, I will say, but at least two of these, because there's also the fucking fortune cookie salesman guy. Yeah, uh, he was... I mean, Mike Myers loves accents. Most of his characters are from, like, uh, Europe... Like he's got like the Scottish guy. A lot of most, a lot of his characters are British. He's got some Irish guys, um, and then he does Asian characters too. And uh, it's just it's confounding how many times Mike Myers has just been like, "Oh, hero!" Like on Saturday Night Live, it's crazy. And just again, the fact that they let it happen. Just because uh, yeah, we, we talk about it now with like blackface, like how were they sitting in the chair with the fucking makeup on going like, yeah, this is fine. But it happened so often that it must have just been like, well, yeah, we did it last week. Of course, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, because this one I can almost like say, well, it's a caricature of a stereotype. So maybe in the 90s they were like, well, it's not racist. I'm just I'm playing that stereotype. Well, yeah, but that's that's fucking racist. <laughs> like, but I can see why you wouldn't make that connection. Well, I'm thinking of like uh, many, many years later in the remember the How I Met Your Mother episode that was kind of controversial. Yeah, the slap one where they yeah they all played like. But I didn't even necessarily mind that at the time. I mean, obviously I'm white, I can't really speak to that. But like, just because yeah, it felt like you were doing an obvious, unsubtle parody of kung fu movies with your white actors in it. So um, so in the controversy, I was kind of surprised. Like, like you wouldn't, like you're really dying on that hill. But yeah, at some point, you just gotta say like, fucking, just don't do it. You 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 have white people make them do white things. But after Mike Myers in a offensive Asian stereotype, I enjoyed the rest of this sketch. Steven Seagal is uh, eavesdropping on a business meeting, an Exxon business meeting, where they're planning the next oil spill. That was great. I love that. They're showing pictures of all the otters, and they're like, "Yep, these otters will be covered in oil." <laughs> and then they're gonna, then no, uh, no one will talk because they'll all be assassinated. What if the assassins talk? How are they gonna talk when they burn up in a wildfire at Yosemite? <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, they're planning out the oil spill. Uh, and then uh, even uh, President Bush calls on the speakerphone and they talk to him. And that's when Steven Seagal barges in and he's like, Ah, I got pictures of this whole meeting. I'm a Greenpeace photographer. And they're like, well, yeah, but we'll just say we were talking about something else. And he's like, yeah, well, what about the picture I have of President Bush on the speakerphone? Well, I'll just say that someone else was on the speakerphone. And he's like, ah. And then they're like, hey, you're a pacifist. Let's slap the shit out of you. And it, yes, and it goes on for fucking ever. And it's great. Until the end when he gets to fight back. (laughs) It's the next day. Phil Hartman starts slapping him. And then Kevin Nealon's slapping him. And then Tom Davis is slapping him. And then they cut to an exterior shot of the building. It says the next day. And they're still just (laughs) slapping him. So do you think they took like a night off? Do you think they like broke for lunch? No, I think they just kept slapping. (laughs) They called the wife and they're like, honey, I'm not coming home tonight. I'm slapping the shit out of Steven Seagal. There was a guy who came in with a bunch of things. Like, who who had the kale salad? You? Okay, yeah. Whack. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, go ahead. Slap this motherfucker while you're here. Drop those sandwiches right there on the table and slap the shit out of this guy. The fact that he gets to fight back at the end kind of ruined it for me. And I think, doesn't he say something like, hey, everybody, save the environment or some shit? (laughs) Yeah, he's like, that's what you get when you mess with the environment. (laughs) I don't know, it's just, I, I just, he he ruined what could otherwise be a good sketch, which is a, a, a potent metaphor for this entire episode. Oh yeah, no, Steven Seagal is terrible, but like I said, I think there is enough good stuff around him that he can't single-handedly ruin the show. Um, he does single-handedly ruin that uh, protective father sketch, but the show itself, I think, is like, we're still cooking. Like, the wheels are still on, we got a crazy man at the helm, but we're still chugging along. Well, I think it's a testament to this cast and this crew of writers. Like, you think of, like, like Malcolm McDowell, who is a great actor, and I think probably even a great comic actor. Like, he has, you know, he's a funny guy, and his episode was like fucking death. Like, they just had nothing for him. And this, you have a guy who has no sense of humor about himself or anything whatsoever, and they were still able to salvage something. I think that's, you know, that is a testament to this this era of the show. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that's all we got for the Steven Seagal episode. Uh, what was what was your favorite sketch? Uh, favorite sketch? Ugh. I mean, does the does the funeral home commercial count? I guess. Yeah. I mean, if it's not that, I guess it's probably Nat X. I, I that's there really isn't much. Or the last one, I suppose. Really, but... I I gotta go for the All Star Celebrity Tribute. I <laughs> I don't know. I again, I just felt uncomfortable with that one for maybe inde- reasons independent of the sketch itself. I don't know. George Bush and uh, Charlton Heston's bits in there had me fucking cracking the fuck up. Uh, and then worst sketch of the night for me, it's the protective father one. Did you have one that made you? Oh, easily. <laughs> yeah, that one is just. Well, I mean, the first half of the photojournalist sketch, but yeah, all, all, all around the fucking father sketch. Well, it's weird how this shit works, because, like, I, when I, we said we were doing the Steven Seagal episode, I was like, oh, man, that's a bad one, because uh, it's got that protective father sketch. Like, that's all I remembered from it. And then as I was watching it, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, I forgot that this one had the... Uh, the all-star celebrity tribute. Hey, the free-range chickens bit. All right, I'll, I'll look at some musical impressions. Hey, Rich Meister. So, like, I had a negative 
remembrance of this episode, but I, I had a good time watching it last night. That's the thing. I think it's it has to be something really, really great or really, really bad to, for it to be memorable, and then that colors the entire episode. Yeah. Uh, plus, you know, Steven Seagal is, is one of the worst hosts ever. Um, all right, so that ends our... Are we going to be watching something next week, or are we just is are we just doing our special thing? I think we'll just do our special thing because um, that'll probably eat up an hour. I don't know because I mean, other than saying what the things are, I don't know how much more we're gonna have, like how much more of a discussion we're gonna have. I don't know. I think it'll be good. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking should we want should we have a backup? Is my thing. Uh, well, if you want to watch the cat who saved the president, <laughs> I mean, I, I let's have it in our back pocket just in case. But yeah, why don't you explain, this was your big thing, let's explain the, the special thing we're doing next week. Well, we talked about it on our Short Circuit 2 podcast, because we were like, this is one of the best movies we've ever seen. What if we made a list of the best things we've ever seen? So we've done that. Um, I took all, every single movie we've watched, put, them, put it on a spreadsheet, uh, gave one to Ben, gave one to myself... And independently, we have ranked our top 20 movies and our worst 20 movies, as well as our uh, top 20 favorite episodes of the podcast. And then I have taken the, his votes and mine, averaged them together, uh, and came, come up with a top 10 list uh, of best movies, worst movies, and best episodes. So I was thinking next week, you have not seen the list yet. No. Uh, you know what you selected, but you'd have no idea what I selected, and you have no idea of the final rankings. So I figured next week we would go through the list, talk a little bit about uh, each movie's a little retrospective. I'll drop some clips in and shit. It'll be like a, a nice Saturday Night Jive best of collection. I think that'll work. I mean, I'm pretty sure Hot to Trot is on your fucking list. <laughs> Uh, there's a good possibility that uh, there might be a movie with a talking horse that made my list, but yeah, I, I, I'm and I'm I'm eager to be pleasantly surprised to see if there's anything weird that I don't even remember that, like I wouldn't even thought of, but you put it on your uh, one of your lists. Yeah, well, we we had uh, very similar tastes. Um, I think like the top five is probably exactly what you expect it to be. Um, but there were some fun ones that, like, yeah, you put on your list where I was like, oh, I didn't think about that. My favorite one was the uh, best podcast episodes because we had. I think, like, between my 20 and your 20, we had, like, 34. So we had, like, very little overlap in best podcast episodes. So that was fun to, like... Well, that was the hardest to do, because, like, I was trying to remember just... Because it's not, like, best episode or, or best movie within that. It's, like, a lot of them were shit that, like, it was a mediocre movie. We just had a really fun discussion. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, it was that was a that was kind of harder to pin down. Well, yeah, and, I, and, like, I didn't listen to every single episode of our podcast. But, like, as I was going through the list, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, I remember, like, having a lot of fun talking about this movie. Like, even though... it limit up doesn't make my best movie or worst movie list i enjoyed that podcast so i threw that on the best podcast episodes but that's what we'll be doing next week and then uh i guess our backup will be our victoria jackson classic uh undercover kid aka how i saved the president is the title of this film and that's oh. how i found it on um google i just googled how i saved the president Okay, see, I was I had the name wrong. I thought it was the cat who saved the president. There's a talking dog and a talking cat, and I only watched the first ten minutes of this, and none of the mouths move. They just focus on. They just train a camera on the dog and have a voiceover. Yeah, sorry. And that. it's Robert Nepper, uh, fucking uh, recently me too'd rapist Robert Nepper as the voice of the dog. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. 
And, of course, Victoria Jackson is the voice of the cat. Uh, And at some point, I suppose, they save the president. Yeah, so we'll watch that. A kid and his talking animal save the president. Um, So we'll watch that. Probably we'll end up splitting them up into two episodes. Um, But in case this whole best of idea goes down the crapper, we will have something else to talk about next week. I just, I don't like talking about myself. I feel like that's going to, like, I'm going to be like, yeah, it's a great episode. That's the next one. Like, oh, Just like, what do you remember of that episode? Why'd you put it on your list? What made you put, put this episode on your list? What made you put this movie on your list? Why'd you rank it where you did? How could you be so blind to miss this? That was my other surprise. There were a couple movies on my worst of list where I was like, how the fuck did you not put this on your list? Well, I will say that one. We'll get to it when we talk about it. But, like, I had to, like, differentiate between just bad movies and movies that made me angry. I always lean towards the movies that, like, made me actually fucking angry. Uh, so, yeah, there were some movies that were maybe worse, but they didn't make me angry. <laughs> so I think it'll be fun to talk about. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's end that here. Uh, let's, uh, let's get off that fucking chat. Get off this Just a pity, not just there to cover her kitty.